0: Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 75, my guest is Madeline Doherty. Hello, I'm sitting here with Madeline Doherty. How are you?
1: I'm very well, how about you?
0: I'm great. We're actually at Shetler Studios, which I'm glad to announce, is now donating the rooms to Broadway's Backbone if mm-hmm. I do all of my recording here.
1: Broadway Backbone, yeah. Man.
0: Broadway's and, Backbone. And Bravo
1: Shetler. Yeah, that's great.
0: Which I already was doing them here anyway, so now it's even better. That's great. I'm
1: glad they're behind you, that's cool. Yes. Yeah, this cool. all is so different up here, this space. This all used to be like little like hovels, like little caves. It's all organized and has a little front to it. It's all—it's great, it's all and they don't yeah. do
0: auditions here, so it's never crazy like the audition schedule okay. is. So you're never gonna walk in and there's so it's like 27 like people. And
1: stuff like that, so this is like the space where people rehearse and or do things. Yes. So he teaches voice here. So yes, he teaches right? voice that's here, right. and a
0: lot of, when they do have auditions, they're uh, opera auditions. So you see people awesome. in gowns and tuxes as opposed to Dude, musical theater? Lord God, <laughs>
1: heavenly days! Can you imagine yeah, going to amazing. an audition in a gown? right, exactly. Isn't that interesting?
0: That is so interesting. Is
1: that right? For opera auditions, they're like in tuxes and gowns yes. and all?
0: The men I've seen in suits sometimes, but, but the, the women, women are, are like always in gowns.
1: Interesting thing, Yeah. right? That's the...
0: Culture. I'm gonna start by uh, reading your credits. You made your Broadway debut in the original cast of Les Mis. No, it
1: was not in the original oh. cast of Les Mis. Sorry about that. Oh, I, I, okay. went, I went into the show a couple of years after it. Opened. Oh, okay. Yes. It was that original Les Mis. If okay.
0: You, know. uh, you made your Broadway debut in Les Mis. You went to the Christmas Carol at Madison Square Garden, uh-huh. which we didn't overlap. I took did leave
1: of absence from Les Mis to go do that. Right? They gave you a yeah. leave of absence? yeah. Uh-huh. That's nice. Yeah, right? The
0: producers, uh-huh. sister act. Yeah. Gigi mm-hmm. and most recently Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. On tour, you did the National Tour of Pirates of Penzance. I did. Nine to five, mm-hmm. 101 Dalmatians, and Flashdance. Correct. Where are you from and how did you get started?
1: I'm from Indiana. I grew up in Indiana. And when you grew up in a in a town in Indiana where, you know, everything is basketball, which was great too, because um, I was, you know, into cheerleading and all of that. I grew up in a really vibrant little town and it had three community theaters. You know, we had like 150,000 people just in central Indiana. Three community theaters. Wow. So, which really speaks, I think, really, really loudly to the fact that how much people love doing this thing where you're doing it and they're enjoying it at the same time. And this, this symbiotic thing from, from stage to audience and how people love that. So that's how I got started. I was a kid and nobody knows. Buddy in my family does this. You know, they all love, they're all patrons of the arts. They love to take us to see shows in Indianapolis and da-da-da. But nobody did this. I was the only one, you know, singing and dancing around the living room. Oh, that is so
0: great. And then did you go continue through high school and college? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I only went a couple years to college. I left college because my mom passed away. And then I never went back to college after Mm -hmm. that. Absolutely. Totally kept going. Did the shows in high school. And that's why when I talk to these high school groups, when they come in, I completely, I remember with every fiber of my being exactly what that was and exactly how that felt. And exactly how it felt to be on the brink of finding out that you actually do something. You're young, you're 17 or 18, and you're finding out that you do something really
0: well. Mm-hmm, yes.
1: I remember exactly how it felt. I, I don't know about you, but maybe you do this. But when there are darker periods to your audition life and your work life, that I revisit that. I go back to that kernel,
2: that little
0: yes. germ
1: of that idea. And, and what that meant to me
0: yeah I remember what the nine-year-old kid wanted to be on Broadway in New York and then when I am frustrated and I like hate Times Square I was like this used to be your dream and now you're yeah, exactly you're dark about it but yeah I always remember that you,
1: you, you do and I, I really think it just boils down to being really grateful you know I'm just yeah. really thankful and really grateful for stuff even the bumps and the and the shoves and everything they're they're great fear and intimidation have been some of my best Partners in this, you know. I mean, I really feel like it's really pushed me. Any, any time someone says no, that'll never, you'll never, that no, no way, it, it just helps me. Yeah. It helps me. I'm glad for it. I'm yeah. like, yes, yes. Say no, and I'll see if I can get around you. I'm pretty sure I can get around you.
0: Well, good for you. Were you always like that, even when you were younger, or was it experience? I think so.
1: No, no. I think I was like that because, and not that my parents weren't part of this because, good God. I don't know if your parents did this but they drag you back and forth to oh, rehearsals to yes. da, da 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 of course yeah yeah so they were great I mean yeah. in that regard they you know them being lawyers and you know accountants and actuaries and my mother you know here my mom majored in Latin at Xavier University in Chicago so, so you can t- you can understand what that is they were very supportive of it. They took me around to rehearsals and stuff like that. So it wasn't that I had a huge amount to overcome, but I was like that still. I mean, they they still would kind of like, what is this thing that she's doing? And you want your family to kind of like what you're into. But when I first started doing this, my my whole family was like, what? You're going to do what? (laughs) But of course they are. Yeah, because it's different. Of course. Yeah. And there's no stability. I mean, as far as they can see, but you and I are we're entrenched in this now we understand how to navigate yeah. and how to how to make the bad times good. We know how to make the lean times better. Yes. And you know, we get, you get smart with your choices. It becomes your living. Yes. And I, you know, I say to my students, because I, I do a lot of teaching, I say to them, I know you think that your job as an actor is to take the words off the page and breathe oxygen into them and make it a being that flesh and blood. But actually, my job as an actor is to audition well. That's yes. my job.
0: And it's amazing the difference when you walk into an audition that you're prepared, you're calm, you've done all the homework, that you can walk in and have a good audition. That's what that means to audition well. And, Absolutely. You know.
1: I agree. Well, I, I think that one of your questions is going to address that. Mm. This because the the industry has changed. Yes. It used to be more. There used to be more forgiving. Even, when did you come to New York? Uh,
0: 1995. Well,
1: even even then, and it really started to shift and change about then. But even then, it was a little bit more forgiving. And when I came before electricity in 1980, <laughs> it, was, it was very forgiving because it was based on, if you were gonna come here and do this, that you were gutsy and you you had chutzpah and you were courageous. And by 95, people were graduating from college. Yeah. I mean, when I started working with people that had degrees in this, I was like, what? <laughs> You wouldn't have thought that yeah. when I was growing up in this business.
0: So how old were you when you moved to New York? I 24. At 24? And then did you land the Pirates of Penzance? A
1: couple t- months after I got yeah. here, yeah.
0: So what was the difference between being on a, a tour with like Pirates of Penzance as opposed to something more recently when Flashdance? I mean, because has the world of touring changed?
1: Completely. I mean, now everybody's got a performing arts center. Most of the tours, unless you're Hamilton or Book of Mormon or Wicked or any of those things, Most of the time, when you're out on tour, you're only in a town for one or two weeks. When I first started out, there weren't so many. It was all the major cities, had all the theaters, and that's where you went. So you stayed there for four or five months in Boston and Chicago and Dallas or any of those big towns, Philadelphia, and everybody came to you. Mm. Now you go to everybody. Yeah. And that's the difference in the touring. But, you know, our union, thank God. They have, they have it together. They've got, you know, they've got several different contracts with all of that, and they know what the market value is going to be of this and that and the other, and they can get you around pretty good. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: She made your Broadway debut in Les Mis Yeah, I did.
1: And I worked, I'm just going to say this as, yeah. uh, as a sidebar. Oh, yes. I worked 10 years in the industry, solid, before I got Les Mis. I was always working. I got here in 1980, and I got Les Mis in 1990.
0: So, what do you think was the difference, or like, in those ten years? So obviously, your talent was always there. Do you think you needed more training? Do you think it was more connections? Because it's always interesting when someone makes their Broadway debut at eighteen, and someone else makes it at fifty. Mm. Is it just the time or the presentation? Well,
1: part of it was I was always working. Well, but I also think it was that principle of opportunity met preparation, and that's when success happened. I remember when Lady Miz was first starting out and everything and I never went to the auditions and my son was really young and I, I couldn't really wrangle down you know a time to go and all of this and so I, I, I let it pass and then other things happened and, and I, I went overseas and did Cats in Vienna for a couple of years when my son was really young, he was four when we went over and he was by the time we left he was six and I think that some of it was experience but I also think it was just that moment where when I came, I remember coming back from Cats going, first of all, I was like, Oh dear Lord, I can't drag this child around the globe anymore. <laughs> so the prayers the prayers went out really heavy. But but also I, I just felt like I, I had my feet really planted solidly and really firmly and I, I, I had like a little bit a firmer vision of all of the things that I could do, all of the little bits and bobs and character work that I could do. So I remember when I got back and I was doing something else regionally that this this open call, you know, the, the chorus call yeah. for this was happening. And I was like, I need to go to that. And and I put a lot of thought into what I was going to sing and how I was going to do it. Because, you know, you've only got 16 bars. Yeah. And it absolutely garnered exactly the response I want. Andy Zerman behind the table went, Madeline, you are perfect for this show. The next time I get an opportunity to bring you in, I will. So that is what happened from that. And it was a couple of months later that I got hired for the Broadway company, which was I th- still think was an impossibility. That was the first Broadway was. show
0: I saw. So I, I had to see... I don't know if I, I was saving programs by then. I probably saw you. Was it at the, Bro- the Broadway mm-hmm. theater? The Broadway oh, yeah, that's yeah. the... I mean, yeah. I remember seeing it, and I remember my mom being like, this is the show you want to see? I was like, Mom, this is the hot show right now. The, we
1: were the Hamilton. I mean, it was the Hamilton of the day. Oh, yeah. It really
0: was. And just the fact, I mean, a 15-year-old little boy in California knew that that was the hot show, yeah. which... Think back, I was like, "Wow!" It's really amazing. Yeah. Man. Did you ever do it? I know I've never done it. Now it's interesting. It's one thing that you talked about, knowing your bits and bobs. Yeah, right. Um, now I'm starting to be called in for Tenardier. Good for which, you. Which is okay. which yeah. is exciting at an early age because you were only 30 when you were realizing, "Oh, I'm a character actress," and so yeah. uh, learn the bits and bobs because I think that's important for for me anyway. To figure out what you're good at and what you're marketable for yeah. and what you're going to get hired as.
1: I was such a good dancer when I came here that I really, truly went to lots and lots of, that of about dance you. Calls. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 because I was such a great singer, the minute I would open my mouth in a callback from uh, from dancing. They would, I would get hired. But that was also, remember, it was the age of a chorus line. Mm-hmm. And th- everything shifted and changed. When I first got here, you really sang or you really danced. And if you did both, you were an anomaly, but now, now you're not anymore. Everybody yeah. does that.
2: Yeah. Which and is good. The, yes.
1: Which is great. Yes. Because you know? anytime something like that shifts and changes in any business, it makes everybody better. Yeah. Because people are like, oh, I better, I better do that.
0: Yes. You know? Yeah.
1: So I did. I really danced well. So I was dancing a lot. And, then I, and, and singing, but there was something about the whole Les is peasant, you know, the, all of the, the look of it and everything that I really examined and I was like, this I know I can do this. This is something I know that I could do, but, but a lot of people think that, you know what I mean? Right,
0: because I think especially coming from a dancer's point of view, we think our career can be over when we can't kick to our head anymore. And yeah. being able to transition into Absolutely. everything, because right. so much of dancing is acting,
1: it's, it's all, it's all storytelling. Yeah. It's all storytelling. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think especially in the new shows, when you see something like Hamilton, you're like, all these dancers are telling the story. That's, it's great. Yeah. That,
1: that's one of the things about Hamilton I love the most is the flow and the look of that show. I mean, mm-hmm. I love the score and all of that. And the story but that's the flow and look and how that the acting company is like a greek chorus and then they dance and then they sit and then they do and then they respond it's so cool yeah. i love that yeah i love the design it's very royal shakespeare company uh,
3: it really classic. is yes i
1: mean, I mean look at look at how they carry all the furniture on and off the turntables where did we do that ladies and gentlemen <laughs> i mean you know les mis <laughs> yeah it's like
0: you know yeah i mean it started the whole turntable Totally.
1: It was, yeah. it was incredible, yeah. and ultimately, I did *Lay Miss* for a long time, and ultimately, I became the dance captain of Les Mis for like the last four or five years. Oh wow! And which was really cool because it it really gave me even a further appreciation for the show and the design of the show. So when I would sit, I would teach somebody the show and I would teach them how to get on on and off the turntable, carrying a great big table or or a, pulling a cart behind them or whatever, it really it made me appreciate it even more. But when I but, but watching *Hamilton*, I was like, well, dang you all, that's my that's that's *Lay Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I think that it's great for people to talk about the fact that we're not just people in the background. We are characters. The acting company. The Absolutely. acting company. I
1: always did that when I had people coming in. I never said... In the ensemble, I always said to them, language is so important. Mm-hmm. Your choice of words is so important. And I would say to them, as a member of the acting company, and I had so many actors come to me after they were in the show saying, I'm so glad you talked to me that way. Because yeah. you're so intricate. So, yeah. You see, they see everything.
0: They see everything. I mean, ensemble's the word that it, you put on your resume, but it's not what you actually do. What's the it's the contract the or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. But it's what you bring to the audition or the rehearsal hall is you can bring stuff to the table.
1: Oh, incredibly. And you know, John Kerrigan and Trevor Nunn, who directed Les Mis, and I was in it for a long time before I really got to work with them. And that's when they had the 10th anniversary of Les Mis that was coming around mm. and they fired everybody in the company. Yes, and you in that, right, I remember yeah, that very that, well. They kept like eight of us or something. And then we all went back into rehearsal with John and Trevor. Well, it was really so enlightening to go into rehearsal with them because they're so egalitarian, you know? They're so, you know, anytime you see one of their Royal Shakespeare cast lists, it's everything's in alphabetical order. You know, it's yeah. not, even the principles, because that is, that's the thought. The thought is that you are one unit, you're all an acting company, and that's how the story is told. It was great work. My yeah. I love them. Those guys are so smart.
0: Oh, so, so smarty, so yeah, so real thrilling. smart. And how long did you stay with the show?
1: I was in the like, Les for 10 years. Wow.
0: And did you have problems with staying fresh or?
1: Absolutely, you yeah. know. But I'll tell you, because that's one of your questions that you had sent me. I hold the contention. It's the only reason I keep it together in a show for a long period of time, is the other people in the acting company. Mm-hmm. They're just the greatest. Yeah, oh they really are. Yeah. You know, if you're fortunate enough to be paired up and fixed up with people in the company that are just really great and fun, and you know, oh, man, it's the greatest thing. That'll really keep you alive, yeah. is investing in those friendships.
0: Some of my times in the dressing room are some of my favorite memories from shows.
1: And you know, I agree with you and the dressing room has changed because of these devices we have in our hands Mm -hmm. and they prevent you from getting to know each other. They prevent you from investing in friendships as well as being incredible tools. Like I can look up on my phone before I go to an audition and look up everybody that's going to be behind the table and I'll be educated about every part and parcel of them But it's a distraction, and you just have to really be careful of it. Yeah. If you're in a show for a long period of time, I think it's really easy to become disgruntled. It just is. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: (laughs) But what can really keep you away from that is really investing in those friendships. There ain't nothing like it. Oh, nothing. It's just the greatest. The dressing room is the greatest place. It's the greatest place. I treasure the dressing room. So much. And the show, especially a musical, it's the greatest team effort of all time. Oh. It's the best thing in the world. It really is.
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I do too. So one of your next big shows, after 10 years of Les Mis, was... Uh, the
1: Producers. Was going into The Producers. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it was great. It How was fun. that? I mean, you were there from the beginning. Yeah, I did the whole run. With,
0: yeah. And so to walk in the whole run, wow. Which was like six and a half years. Six and a half years. With Susan Stroman and Mel Brooks being part of that every day. I mean, what was being part of that creative process and seeing it come together? What was that like? And then giants of performing. Oh my gosh,
1: I know. Right? Nathan and Matthew. Yeah. Katie Huffman. Gary. Gary Beach. Roger Bart was amazing. Something sort of happens to you when you get a show, that you're just like invested in the work. And it's good because then you don't get too heady and you don't get too far away from yourself and you stay in the room and you really invest in the process, which is so critical. But the thing that's, that really thrilled me about the producers was that it was always one of my favorite movies in the world.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And I remember seeing that there was gonna be this musical made out of it and, and hearing about it. And I thought to myself, oh my God, it's like one of my favorite things in the world. And they've got to have at least one old lady in that, yeah. right? Because I mean, <laughs> it's all about old ladies. So that's how I aimed my. And I went to the open call. I, went to the aud- okay. I didn't have an agent. I was here in 1980, and I didn't get an agent until 2007, because
2: I didn't need one.
0: Yeah. I skipped going to the audition. People get cast out of open call. Yeah. Yeah. And you always think that they don't, but if you're what oh, they're wow. looking for, they'll find you.
1: Oh, yes, they will. I'm a huge believer
0: in the open call.
1: I even just said to my agent just recently, I emailed him and I said, listen, I signed up for the Anastasia open call and da-da-da-da. He emailed me back and he's like, no, don't do that. I'll get you an appointment for the tour. <laughs> <laughs> and I emailed him back and I said, you have to understand that this is where I've come from. I've only had an agent for 11 years. Yeah. I know what happens at the open call. I know how powerful it is.
0: Yeah. And I've gotten stuff at the open call that my agent couldn't get me an appointment for because exactly. they didn't want to see me. Exactly. And then I end up booking it because... I'm
1: perfectly happy to go to a course call. I'm perfectly happy to do that. Yeah. Particularly when I know that I'm right for it. That's even more cachet. That's yeah. even more stuff in your favor. Yeah. He was so funny. He was like, Madeline, please. Don't do that. I'll Get you an appointment.
0: It's my background. Yeah. I find it so interesting that you say call yourself uh, an old lady, especially for the producers, because you weren't that old. You're not that old now. So the fact that you were like I keep like, doing that
1: old woman, I keep doing that character and they love it. I did her I done her in three Broadway shows. I did her in the producers and Sister Act and Charlie
0: the Chocolate Factory. Yes. They were probably like eighty years old, so that's much older than you are now.
1: Right. Well I'm sixty two. I'll be sixty three in October. Yeah, but, but still you're not but, an old woman at but all. But that but, and, that, and that's the trick to the old lady, Yeah, is that you're still really viable, you can really dance, you can really do things physically in the rest of the show, and do the old lady character. It makes me so happy that they love the old
2: lady, it makes me so happy!
0: <laughs> well that's great, and since you knew that when you had to deal with with body image and all that as well, or once you were like, I'm going to be an old lady, you kind of... No, no,
1: no, because all the other things I do, all the other regional and da-da-da, I I rarely do the old lady unless it's... Rubber. In New York, and it's really true. Yeah. And, and then, and then, especially in the producers, I was in and out of the old lady. Oh, right. I'd be the old lady, and then I'd be a, a cute little girl walking across the stage, and then I'd be dancing in the chorus, and, and then I'd be an old lady, and you know.
0: Which old lady were you? You hold were. Me, touch hold me. me, touch me.
1: Hold me, touch me. <laughs> Crazy, right?
0: Did you expect that show to be the juggernaut that it was? Could you tell that during the, that this was something? No, I
1: didn't know. I remember. I remember specifically the conversation I had with Vinny Liff because Vinny said to me when well, he called me and said you're you're going to be in the producers.
0: He called he, you personally. Oh. Well,
1: well, because I didn't have an agent. Oh yeah. Said,
0: oh yeah. oh wow. wow.
1: This is a man who was he championed talent. He oh, had he, a mentor in talent. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. He called and you know said you got it. You got the producers, and they hired three character women and the rest are dancers. And you're gonna, you know, they'll they'll sort out what you're gonna do when you're in rehearsal and da da da. And he said to me because I was in Miz at the time and my son was still young, you know, and I was raising him by myself. So he didn't want me to be jeopardized. And he said to me, Madeline, this is going to be huge. Not you don't have to worry about this. This is going to be a huge hit. Wow. This is somebody who was. Who understood like people's lives and yeah. you know, I mean, not that people don't right now but he was particularly invested in people you yeah. know so
0: that's why I love Tara Ruby because she was trained by Vinnie yeah exactly yeah so I mean, there's a beautiful picture that
1: Craig Burns put online recently of Vinnie and Andy Sherman and Jeff Johnson and Tara and they were young you know
0: yeah I remember he came to see Christmas Carol like I guess somehow or another he heard that we were we were giving comps to us some event and he called me he was like, Can that, you get me a comps? It was like eleven o'clock show. Sure. And he waited back to say hi and I mean he doesn't know me well. Right, he's
1: such a gentleman. Just you should do a whole podcast on Vinnie List. Yes. Because I he really was he was one of those types of casting director that mentored talent and then he, there's a whole legacy that's come up behind him with Tara and yeah. her organization you know it, it could really be a, such a fascinating because he, he really shaped a lot of a lot of actors ideas about staying in the business and and continuing success and
0: tenacity I you know it takes a lot of tenacity to be yeah, it really does to continue going
1: but anyway but that but to answer your question it's always a risk, you know, here you're going to leave Le Mis, possibly, yeah. you know, here you are in the final callbacks with, with a, a young child that you're raising on your own and you've got this very steady job and you go all in and all, all, everything that you can possibly give to get this job and then you get it. And now what? Do you make, do you say yes or do you say no? And Vinny Liv says, his pitch, his pitch to me was, it's going to be a huge hit, Madeline. Well, that's all I needed to hear because I trusted him. Yeah,
0: and it was. And six and a half years later. Oh my God! Did you have yeah. a- intentions of staying that long?
1: Well, I like the long run, you know. <laughs> I like looking for the next, <laughs> you know, fan of the opera, you yeah. know. I was happy that it was, you know, it was great. I didn't, I didn't really think too much about it. And when we got our notice that fall of two thousand and six that we were going to close, like in March or something like that, of seven. Or April. I thought, well, you know what? It's a good idea to brush off that audition book and really, you know, get back into the game. Yeah. Not that I was out of the game, but I just wasn't competing like I do now. Right. You know, like we do now. We're we're always, now we're
0: always. But we're
1: in the long run, you sort of, there is a little bit of a cushion that you rely on, Mm -hmm. and you don't have to audition for everything.
0: Because I love you have some, uh, some interesting tour credits. like ni- The 9 to 5 tour, the Flashdance tour, mm-hmm. yeah. and 101 Dalmatians. Some of these shows like, flopped on Broadway, 9 to 5, which I think it was great. I don't know why it didn't Yeah, flop. I think it was
1: too long. And Jeff Calhoun directed the tour, and he refurbished the thing. Oh. And it was really, it was great.
0: Oh, so you know,
1: 9 to 5 is a little story about three gals you know, that go up against the world. It's not a great big story, and they made it a great big story. It didn't have to be like yeah. that. I think what Jeff did was great, and of course I'm a huge Jeff Calhoun fan, I yeah. love him. I just so,
0: recently saw him. Yeah, I love
1: him, he's yeah. so so clever, he, so smart. He really is. Yeah, He just reconfigured it and really made it work, and I ended up leaving the tour, like about six months into it, to do Sister Act, but I would have stayed with it, and I was a swing, and I was like the oldest swing in the kingdom. But I was a swing, yeah.
0: And did you like swinging?
1: Um, it is yes, and it was very different swinging because I was like 55 at the time. It was very different swinging at 55 rather than like 35. Yeah. You know? And our dance captain Marjorie Filoni, she's currently in uh, Margaritaville. She was so kind to me. I would say, Marjorie, I I have to run this again. I have to run this, and she was constantly running things in the hallway with me. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: She's no, I love a good dance great. captain.
1: I, I'm right. And just patient, like sure, sure we can run that again, sure. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I mean, Incredible. swinging is hard. I mean, yeah,
1: it works on your brain. I think it's really good for your brain. Yeah, yeah. And the 101 Dalmatians,
0: did it ever even come into mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden? Yeah, it did. It did.
1: By that time, it was it had really been sort of ripped to shreds. And what I mean by that, not necessarily critically, although it was, but ripped to shreds in the sense that everybody was like really headed out the door. But they, there was so much internal fighting between the composer. And our director and book writing that they they just couldn't agree on things and then they ended up really disliking each other and that collaboratively that's never gonna work so we were like divorce we were like children in a divorce
0: oh what's interesting we were talking about stuff like that earlier in the fact that it takes so much for a show to get to Broadway and so often because of infighting and egos beautiful pieces of work don't ever get here I mean, we know that that how hard it is to get a show to broad or how hard it is to get so,
1: so much development. Yeah, so much.
0: It's and shocking. so many
1: right decisions along the way, and even if it veers, you know, you can always pull it back, you know, onto its original or or onto a very clear track. Yeah. But it isn't it astonishing? Yeah. And some things that should never get capitalized get all the money. You're like, you should have never gotten a nickel. But yeah. Somehow you got capitalized.
0: Yeah. It's astonishing. Yeah. Like these huge, huge Broadway flops. You're like, how did you even make it to Broadway when great shows die on the road or die out of That's town? Right. It's interesting. It is interesting, yeah.
1: right? And it's not like 100 like, One Dimension was the greatest thing in the world, but I think it, it did have a life. But it just, it just disintegrated, and that happens, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know. I saw Flashdance when I think <laughs> it wasn't the tour. I think I saw the production up in Toronto. I have to say I loved it because it was one of the Did first. Because
1: it... I was in it in Toronto. Oh, you were? Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe I
0: saw it up there.
1: Unless they had a different company up there. No, well,
0: we went to Toronto on tour. I was sitting there, or maybe it was playing there. Yeah, we
1: were there for like a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I loved it because it was the movie on stage. Yeah, yeah, right. And they didn't try to. Change it or musicalize it. So if you like the movie, Flashdance was the movie.
1: It absolutely was. And they were unabashed about that. They were like, sure, we're gonna that's exactly what we're gonna do. But I also think that in some ways they, they, they just didn't navigate things really properly to really get it to where it needed to go and, and in front of who they needed to go in front of. Mm. And I, I don't know, you know. I, I mean I came into I replaced Joanne Cunningham as Hannah, who's just Joanne Cunningham is just a lovely actress. She's a darling girl. I remember going to that audition and thinking, wow, all these ladies are Quite a bit older than me, but I, you know, I, I got it, and Sergio Turrio, who directed it and choreographed it, he came out and eventually saw the show, I was in it for, like, at that point, like a month, and we had, like, note sessions, and la, 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 and in front of the whole acting company, he said this to me, and I thought this was really interesting, he said, Madeline, you know, when you auditioned for me, I thought to myself, she's too young to play this part, but I want her to do it anyway. I thought that was so interesting for him to say that. Hmm. So it was obviously something about what I did captured his heart or yeah. whatever. Because he's an interesting character, that Sergio. You know, he seems to be very aloof. Like when he's talking to you, you may think that he's not thinking about what you're saying. Like he's, he's thinking about something else hmm. that he wants to accomplish or think about uh, talking about or whatever. But that might be true about him. But he is, he remembers everything because he came to finally see us when we closed, and he said a few things to me about the, some of the choices I made as Hannah. And I was like, you, there's nothing got past you. Mm. You know, he's a really interesting
0: character. Oh, wow, yeah, I have a auditioned for him. I don't think I've really even mm. auditioned for him. Isn't
1: he choreographing the Donna Summer?
0: Oh. I think he is. Oh, okay. I think it's his. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's his. He's a really interesting character. I, I really admire him. I'd like to work with him again someday and be in the room with him for a month, you yeah. know? He a real interesting guy.
0: Good yeah. to know. So you, you talked about also like what Sergio said, being too young to play an yeah. older woman. You have definitely solidified yourself as a character woman and then Sister Act is a prime example of that. And I saw like a video on YouTube where you're on the street like talking to people. I mean So, how, I mean, were you in Sister Act the whole time? Yes,
1: the whole run, yeah, it was great. I gotta tell you something, and I I really probably shouldn't say this, it would be a lot of trouble. I mean, I love all my Broadway shows, they're like your children. Yeah. But Sister Act really stands out.
0: Really? Yeah, it
1: really does. And one of the reasons it stands out is Jerry Zaggs.
0: Wow.
1: Because he's just so damn brilliant. And Douglas Carter Bean, he refitted that script so it wasn't patronizing to the nuns, it was just cute. And fun—they're nuns. They're the underdog. Mm-hmm. You know, people love a story about the underdog. They love that. That's why it was so relatable. People loved it, and it was what went on between audience and stage during Sister Act. I—I have very few times experienced that. Yes. they just screamed in delight because they were the underdogs, and they were little nuns, and Jerry's acts, and. The female acting company, oh, the, the men were good too, they were okay. Yes. But that that female acting company, to sing with those women every night. I got a front romantic Damn. ticket. I am telling it you. It was fun. Those voices, the, Jen Samar, and just take it from there. Jen Allen, Holly Bebo Davis, all of them. I mean, those voices were constant, incredible, strong, beautiful voices too. I mean, it was like, wow, it's my fave. So Sorry, everybody.
0: <laughs> That's my baby. So how is it having this career and doing all this success and being a single mom? That just sounds, When as soon as you said that, I know my mom was a single mom. I can't imagine the hours and the schedule. It's a lot. It's mental.
1: I think it's just insanity that I did. And people are like, oh, you were so brave. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I mean, it's just fear it just really can... Just ask your mom. Yeah. Fear to just really motivate you. It's a great motivator. You better put food on the
0: table, yeah. sister. Yeah. If you got home at 11 o'clock at night, I mean, God did you have to like, get Les up? Miz was the
1: killer. Les Miz oh, was like, wow. you know, the old Les Mis, we didn't get done till 11.30 at night. Oh my gosh. And I got home at like quarter after. And I was up with Casey to get them off to school, you know, at like 6.30. That's life. Yeah. That's your life, baby.
0: And has he grown up to be a theater fan?
1: Oh, God. And my grandson, too, who's two and a half. Casey, My son, Casey, loves all of this. Loves all of this. He doesn't do any of it. He does all kinds of other things. But he loves it, and he plays that music for his son all the time.
0: Wow. Oh, yeah. Does he remember being in Vienna? Oh, yeah. He does. Definitely.
1: He has little snips of things he remembers. Dude is pretty young. Yeah. I mean, since in utero, he's been playing all these musicals for Parker.
0: Oh, that's so great. And
1: Parker knows so much. The only reason, let me just say this to the entire world, the only reason I know Wicked, In the Heights, Wedding Singer, probably a couple other musicals that are, I can't recall. Yeah. The only reason I know them is because of my son. Really? Because he play them in his room. I'll go, what is that? And he'd go, ah, In the Heights. <laughs> <laughs>
4: i such an old buddy, Duddy.
1: What about Oklahoma my fair waiting. You know, and Harry's playing like, I'm like, what is that, mom, that's wicked.
0: I don't know. So it's, it seems like you've embraced the aging process of theater, but has it also been hard, especially I think as a, as a woman, and just aging in general, you look differently. Yeah, How's it been right, for you? It's like,
1: you know, I was, I'm always, as you can see, always been a little character you know, even as a dancer, and I was the dancer that they'd hire to cover the lead because mm. I could sing and, you know, look character and carry that mantle, but... I used to have a lot of body image issues, yeah. you know, and I really, really de- definitely let go of them. I mean, I do have my moments where I'm like, I am so fat, and clearly I'm not, but you know, we, we are si- silly yeah. people, we're silly people. Yeah. But I do think that staying healthy is a great idea, and certainly as an older actress, to be able to play an old lady and then do other things to service something else on the show, to be really physical and do stuff, is really an asset. I mean, to be able to play the old lady, you know, back in 2000 and, and all the way through that for the producers and to be able to do fan kicks on the walkers, yeah, you know, that really helps. You know, yeah, and to hit a few high notes, you know, it really helps. Yeah. What's really great is that I'm okay with just embracing, you know, age and stuff. And this is the goofiest thing to say, but I just have gotten better. No. As I've that, gotten older, I've gotten better. Yeah. I'm a better singer as I've gotten older, and.
0: Do you find your confidence level is better because you, you feel like you, you come in with some weight?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think experience always does that to you. Mm-hmm. Definitely.
0: Well, you had so many huge successes in your life. And then comes Gigi. How is something to have something that's kind of considered a flop after like 10 years of the six and at six and a half producers. How long did Gigi last?
1: We did it at the Kenny Center and then we got capitalized and came to Broadway and maybe from the time we started. Previews on Broadway to the time we closed was maybe 4 months.
0: Oh, wow.
1: You know, Brad, that was a really busy season on Broadway. Great season. American Paris, Fun Home, it was so diverse. It was great. And it was sort of like the re- the economic recovery. People were coming out from hiding with their money and they were investing in things again. Mm-hmm. We could you could really feel that. 2015, 2014. You know, it was a really big time for things to really shift and change. Financially, that always is going to determine where we're headed in our business, and it was it was great. The season was so busy, but I think we got lost in the shuffle mm. because it, it was a beautiful show. It was far from perfect. It was far from perfect, but that doesn't always de- determine. You know, no, lots of things are visual spectaculars. and you know they don't really have you know a huge amount of substance. And even though I did feel like ours did have substance and had something to say was gorgeous and Vanessa Hudgens was beautiful oh. and wonderful in it and Vicki Clark was in it and Howard McGillin and you know and Corey Cott I mean it was like really talent supreme and we closed yeah you
2: know
1: it, here's the deal you cannot and we saw it we were like lord have mercy you cannot sustain a show selling 600 tickets a night no you gotta sell much more than that twice yeah. that yeah and we saw it you know, we, we had all our times so where we would stroll across the stage in the park, scenes and decadent. and down. We'd be like, oh, Lord mm-hmm. have mercy. Yeah. There's not very many people out there. Oh. Uh, That's so, that.
0: Yeah. Have you understudied? You said you'd understudied. Have you understudied a lot? Do you enjoy
1: Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And then Gigi, I, I understudied De hody and oh. Vicky Clark, which was great. Yeah. It was really fun. Both women spectacularly talented. And, and Vicki Clark had one of the most beautiful songs ever in the history of musical theater. All by herself, center stage, singing. Say a prayer for tonight. A gorgeous song. Wow! And when I got to go on for her, you know, there I am standing center stage. <sighs> wow! With this little pin spot on my little face, with this gorgeous orchestration underneath, it makes you weep to hear it. That's Talk about amazing. a highlight. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh that's great. And I
1: never expected to go on. You know, particularly, yeah. you know, when you're like you see your show in trouble and you're like, Oh I'm never gonna go on because we're gonna close and blah, blah blah and I was fortunate. I went on twice.
0: Oh, that's so great. For that
1: very strong, healthy Vicky Clark. But I, I did. Yeah. And it's interesting. She navigated and really helped them find the right path for that mummy to character. I was I was the beneficiary of that. Yes. Know? So I got to just put on those clothes and just walk down this path that Vicky had so very carefully manicured, and I, I didn't have to do anything yeah. except to show up and say, speak.
0: Yeah. Some of the the best educations I've gotten has been by an understudy and Absolutely. like watching these greats
1: and just say if, if I said this here instead of here, and they were so. Eric Schaefer and Heidi and everybody on that team—they were very good about listening to Vicky
3: mm, because yes.
1: she's so smart. Yeah. Why wouldn't
0: you? Yeah. You know, just
1: like Susan Stroman would listen to Nathan and and Matthew.
0: Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, it's that's also a skill because I've witnessed people talking back to the director or writer, just saying stuff like, "Ah, oh, I don't think I should say that." And there's also a skill in bringing something to the room, but also how to communicate it. Everything.
1: Everything. Words are power. The power in your words and how you say it is yes. everything.
0: Yes. Because it also seems like you're incredibly talented, but also you have staying power because you're nice, you're good to work with. Those are skills just as much as hitting a high note. Yeah, nice.
1: Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah.
0: You know, because people want to bring you back.
1: Yeah, love, love the people you're working with, you know? Find the best in them, you know? Really. Mm-hmm. Dig in and find. And, and if for some reason, you know, somebody's incredibly uncooperative and incredibly cranky, there must... Find out what? Find that out. See if you can, and they may not let you in. They may not, you may dig and you may Mm -hmm. never ever get close into that, you know? You
0: mentioned your staying power is because you honestly love it and you can't do anything else. I'm
1: I'm just a silly girl. I just love this. That's not silly at all. I I, I completely agree. I remember when my agent said to me, like one of the first times I re-signed with them, he was like, are you good with this? And, blah, blah, blah. and I was like, oh my God, I love doing what I do. It was a silly girl who likes, loves what she's doing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah.
0: Do you remember the first thing you saw at that community theater?
1: I think I saw like a, some sort of funny little version of the Pied Piper, that story. You know, all of anything I saw was like, it was like I was eating crumbs at the table. Oh, the right. Theater, right. Yeah.
0: You know, so to go from the Pied Piper to see that to go to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is...
1: Ain't that something. But I remember as a young girl, my parents taking me to see the national tour of Mount La Mancha with Richard Kiley.
0: Oh, wow.
1: At uh, Clues Hall in Indianapolis. That hit me square between the eyes.
0: Yeah, I just, I remember I saw the first national of Bob Fosse's dancing. I was like, what is this? What is this? Yeah, and how do I sign up? I was like, go to junior high school right. first. <laughs> right, first of all, go to school. Yes. Learn to
1: read and. Yes,
0: like, but. How and I remember, remember my dad it. running
1: around the house saying, to "Dream the impossible dream" for like months
0: after.
1: Oh. I mean that that's kind of impact this stuff has. And my folks were they're just they were just regular folks. Yeah. They're, my folks are and and the rest of my family. They are that our ticket-buying public. Oh, they are that. Yes, right. Yes, your family is that.
0: Yes, they are. That's no, this I don't know. This is a silly story, but I was on the bus yesterday, and uh, there was this uh, a gaggle of African American guys. I'm pretty sure they were straight, and they are talking to their girls. And all of a sudden, I heard "Impossible!" It just started singing that and the other guy was like you just pulled out Whitney Houston Cinderella and they started laughing and then I started laughing and he was like he even knows how silly that is right, and exactly. the guy was like I used to watch that movie with my daughter shut up and and I was like that is you don't realize that the general public regardless of their race their gender their sexuality right, exactly. has an experience to this you know I totally agree with you yeah and he just kept singing the Whitney Houston impossible and then they got off the bus and I was laughing And it was just such a good, like, moment for many reasons in New York City that... That's one of those New York moments. Yeah, that they didn't care that I was laughing at them. It was great, but you're right, then straight white men are going to sing The Impossible Dream. Absolutely. It's, we are affecting those people.
1: Absolutely, and you can see this by the Broadway box office numbers. I mean, every mm. year is another record-breaking season. Hamilton has really driven this, there's no question about that. Yeah. People are gonna come see Hamilton and they're gonna see Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and Wicked, they're gonna do it up, right, if yeah. they're gonna come see Hamilton. But, you look at these numbers and it's like, people love this. Isn't that the daggondest thing? Mm-hmm. We live in this little cocoon and we think, we I'm just a silly singer and a dancer. And people love it. Yeah. They actually really love what we do. Yeah yeah it's cool isn't it yeah
0: well i mean we, i mean where else would you go to watch people work like i wouldn't want to go to my doctor's office and watch him take patients. Well, that's
1: a really good point yeah
0: they want to come watch us work and do what we do and we get to do what we love you know, that is so
1: interesting to say. That's exactly yeah, what it is. and
0: sometimes it's on Broadway, and sometimes it's uh, regional, or you know, and sometimes you have a invited call, sometimes you go to an open call. Okay. It's just the staying power. I saw Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, and it was fun because I had a friend making his debut Broadway debut, yeah. and then also I had w- worked with Christian Borle. Christian Borle really so many. He? he really He's is He's like the he
1: Danny Kay of our. I mean, really, truly, yeah, incredible and smart, and talk about somebody guiding. Things. Yes, he really was very instrumental in guiding. He had a lot of skin in the game because he's going to play. He's going to play Willie. So yeah, you know, he really, with every diplomatic fiber of his being, was so great with Jack O'Brien and David Gregg, the, the book writer, to mm. say, if this happened here, how how would that strike you? If I did something like this. And they they really gave him free reign. Talk about yet another learning experience. of Watching a guy, I'm not going to understudy him, clearly. Yeah. But to just watch him navigate those waters. Yeah. Such a learning experience. Yeah. Wow. He's so great. So great.
0: Because I actually went because Jake Flynn. (laughs) um, I had done Mary Poppins with him. And he was Michael Banks. So I was like, of course I had to go see him. And the stories he would tell about like... The way the company treated him like an acting adult and helped him—it just sounded like yeah. a really fun that came place. and that
1: and that temperature that came from Jack O'Brien because oh. he would call not boys, he called them gentlemen or oh, gentlemen. And and, he, and Jack was ever so right to do that for so many different reasons. But for most of the reason of the fact that so much of the show lays on Charlie's shoulders. Yes, it does. They need to know right from the beginning that you are part of this acting company. You are going to be treated like everyone else here. Yeah. You're not mollycoddled because you're a child. or And those those boys never expected that at all. Right. They never expected to be mollycoddled or kissed. At and all of that and that came from jack mm, which i think is so great jack O'Brien. Yeah.
0: yeah yeah i've never got to work with him and he's yeah. from i mean based well, out of san right, diego because he was at the old globe for yeah. so long yeah yeah so i've never he's he's Have you my bucket book, Nimble? no you gotta read that book man that's great oh i will
1: it's just filled with nuggets of things and that he's done, and places that he's been, and yeah, it's really cool.
0: Oh, I just got Donna McKechnie's book, so... I
1: I did, too, because my next project I'm doing with her. Oh, really? Half-time at Paper Mill, and Donna's in it. And I just I just got her book, too. What's it called?
0: Time Stepping Food step- Life? Oh, yeah.
1: I just got it, too. I can't believe you did that. Yes. Yeah. I read it, but I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. I'm
0: going to. It's on my list to do, too. Well, and I started, because she talks about how she was able to cure her arthritis and dance again. I know,
1: right? Isn't that amazing?
0: That's one of the things I haven't done a lot of, is reading biographies, that's on my bucket list of like educating yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yourself. I think that's great. Because you never I stop. Love,
1: I love biographies, especially showbiz biographies. Yeah. I love
0: them. Yeah. yeah. Wait, the one I have also now, I can't remember his name, it's the guy who lived in the basement during Les Miserables. Ed Dixon. Yes, Ed Dixon. So those are the two that are sitting...
1: I was working with him when this happened. You were. He's a crack addict, and he overcame his crack addiction. Ed is... Ed Dixon you got to do a podcast with Ed Dixon Yes. that guy this guy is incredible talking about coming from back from the brink of death to being incredibly successful doing writing he's a writer he's he's, he's the guy is the talk about tenacity and not and not giving up I mean the guy is amazing
0: his book's supposed to be before uh, I was supposed to read that before Donna's but then when I got Donna's it's on top of it sure it's okay okay because <laughs> she comes from a day she's you know I mean? There's something exciting about
1: Yeah, you're gonna, right. you're gonna, and Ed Dixon lives like right next door to me. He like I live in a building and he lives in a building like right next door oh. to me. I have keys to his apartment. Oh, if wow. he's in trouble, you know, or it gets locked out, it never happens. But I'm just saying, right. well, we, I'm have, we are our in, in case.
0: Yes, people, so as soon as, done I, done as, soon as happened, I'm done reading it.
1: It's astonishing because I was there when it all happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I think incredible. that that's one thing that
0: people forget about show business is that like we have other lives and we have. Tragedies and death and struggles, but yet we still have to come in put on that costume and smile
1: He did he never missed yeah, it's not like he was uh, you know MIA because he was on drugs. He never missed a show Yeah, Yeah, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah that whole story of survival, you know, somehow he survived that That's crazy. By the grace of God go I. Yeah Incredible
0: Yeah. So with Charlie, you, it seemed like in Charlie you played even an older woman than you normally play. It seemed like you were a great grandma or something. Well,
1: we were we were Charlie's grandparents.
0: Oh, okay. Right. I guess it's because but, you couldn't really walk, I guess. Was, <laughs> I
1: thought, yeah, we were up in the bed. <laughs> grandma Georgina, I, I love loved doing her. She had some great lines, yeah. too. Th- that guy, that book writer, wrote those grandparents really well. Yeah. I think he did a good job with like that. Yeah.
0: When I saw it, it was jam-packed. There was kids. There was candy, there was everything it should be. I'm always on TDF looking for deals, and I never saw Charlie on there. So when you guys got your notice, it felt like the carpet being ripped out from under you.
1: A wee bit. I think that at least nine or ten months prior to what we thought. I think we thought we'd close, like, Labor Day of 18. Yeah. Something like that, right? But the way our industry works is, you know, there are certain stipulations and contracts with producers and theaters and there are financial things that they, have to, they must consider and something occurred where they were able to work around that and the Donna Summer people bought us out of the theater and they, the theater owners had every right to do it. They weren't in breach of contract and they just did it because that's how showbiz works. Yeah.
0: You know? It's so it's know. so sad. But then and it it's, was so
1: sad. We were so sad. Yeah.
0: But I know you're already auditioning and you're doing stuff and one of the things when I first was in contact with you, even if you're in the long run, you love new work, you love working with new writers, you were doing a project with Lipsinka last time we talked. Is that something that keeps you fresh? I mean, now you're doing a reading for me tomorrow. (laughs) So it's so exciting that, is that just something you'd like to do? Because they're usually free.
1: Yeah, exactly. However, it's not free because what you walk away with, you can't put the price tag on that. Yes, And it really is about the process. The process is so, important and nothing replaces time when you're developing something nothing replaces time and we live in a very fast world and what we do as actors and as writers all you guys the world kind of works against that and it keeps dragging you along at this frenetic pace and it really can't be that it's it's got to take its time Nothing replaces that—that work and the time—and it's about your brain and working and processing and figuring out. And some things get figured out quickly, and other things take time. They have—they have to marinate.
0: Yeah.
1: You're like, oh God, I know why that moment doesn't work.
0: It's so interesting, and I think collaboration is such a huge part of it, in allowing smart people to help with the process. And that's—I think—it's so great when people say yes. I mean, and I've said yes, because then you're in a room, that creative process, you're so right to say it isn't, it isn't for you, you do get oh paid my God. in something away. It's incredible yep. what you gain from it, yeah. Yeah. What are the biggest things that you've witnessed is the difference between 1980 and when there was no electricity? Yeah, no, no,
1: right, exactly, I wrote a couple things down. Oh, you did? <clears throat> yeah, I did. The first thing is the devices in everybody's hands. Oh. That's the big, I think that it really, it makes a real difference about how you concentrate on your work and how you concentrate on people right in front of you, how you miss things, because you've got that device on all the time. Mm. I think you just have to be really careful of it. It's so helpful. Yes. You can look everything up about who you're gonna audition for. I mean, it's really, really helpful. Just remember to put it down. That would just be my advice. I've seen that it's a troublesome thing. So it just makes our brains work a little different. Our brains are, I don't know what what they can and cannot do. It's like unbelievable. But it makes us wanna work at a faster pace and at that pace I was just talking about, about thinking through every decision and thinking about, you know, why a moment doesn't work and giving things girth and time mm. and breath, you know. I, that's one thing that I've noticed. When I first got here, there, was a, there wasn't there was as much distance between directors and actors. Oh. And, and now there is. And, and those casting directors are terrific. You just have to know how to navigate that. You know, you just have to just keep working those those contacts with your casting people and just keep moving closer and closer into when you're really in front of directors and stuff and you just have to know how to navigate those waters it's just different than when i got here and the long-running musical really changed things too although everything wants to run longer maybe that's more rather than oklahoma in its day ran for five years or five and six years or whatever it was and that was completely unheard of you know, and then you look at a lot of other shows. Chorus like Line, I think Chicago right now might be. Oh, it's Phantom. I think it's Phantom. And, but anyway, the, the list of like that first 10, like between Phantom and Wicked and Lion King and Cats in its original form and Les Mis and da-da-da. A lot of that stuff didn't happen until later on. When I first got here, things were open and closed. What that does is that yields more work. Yes,
0: it does, yeah. I see it's the plays do that, but musicals don't. Exactly, I guess it's because they're, right. so yeah, they're so expensive. Yeah, because they're
1: so expensive. But there's two sides to that coin. You know, it provides a lot of work for people and stability, and that's really good. Yes. I'm a benefactress of that. Yes. But I've, I've done that. So, long running musicals change things a wee bit too. There's something that has occurred in the industry in the audition realm that I've noticed that becomes troublesome to me. Although I'm with them, I get it. You have to be really careful how make sure it doesn't get transferred over to the real work. There used to be. A time when you used to be able to read your sides and go in and out of your sides in a, f- in a really professional way, mm-hmm. and it was it was considered an art. Yes. Well, there's a movement on for the last five or six years that they don't like you to do that. They really want you to be out of the paper as much as possible, and it's tr- that's a troublesome sign. So I think just as us as, as actors, yeah, we just need to be aware of that. So that when it comes to the real work in the room that we can still have our paper in our hand, you know, we can still, you know, that that script may really need to stay in your hand for a while, you know, to really hold your own that way. And to be cautious in the room when they really want you to pull your head out more, you know, and you don't know those words. I I drill them a lot and I, I often coach people and I say to them, you know, here's a good trick for your audience. I'm going to tell them right now, everybody will know this. Th- this is a, one of those little tricks that makes them think that you're out of the paper more than you are. Is memorize your first few lines.
3: Mm. You know, yes, when ma'am. you have
1: somebody speak to you, have that line memorized, and then the next set, if you can, maybe yes. even the third set, and then go into your paper, because then they'll think that you're out of your paper a lot, because it's the the first establishing 15-20 seconds, you're out of that paper. Very so see smart. If you can do yeah. that. For some reason. If you oh, go into your paper right away, then of course they're like, Can you just get your head out of that paper? Yeah. So it might be a trick that'll work for
0: no, that's a good you know? that's yeah. a good trick. Just and memorize also, your first three or four yeah, lines. And yeah, and oftentimes they give you three sides the day before and then once you memorize like, like
1: wow. Yeah, or like on, I have a yeah. show
0: tonight or I have a shift tonight. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to do that? Exactly. How are you supposed to do that? Yeah. Because
1: there's an art. There's a real art to going in and out of that paper. Mm-hmm. Because our eyes capture a few lines and then we come back out and then we speak. And then we know the couple of lines I'm gonna go back in and I'm gonna come back out now.
0: Yeah, it definitely isn't art. Auditioning is a it's crazy a real party. it's a real art. Yes.
1: So we just I think we should be aware of that as actors that there's this movement on and that there's some sort of disgruntledness behind the table, that you're in the paper too much. And there might be they may be right about that, because actually those sides are gonna be a, a real crutch for you. And they're gonna be like a real security blanket for you so if I can just get away from looking at but don't don't yeah. don't be afraid yeah just get your head out of there for the first few lines and you might just trick them into thinking that you've been out of the paper
0: That's, oh, I'll take all those little tricks All <laughs> <I know>, right. <laughs> oh. it's a good one well thank you so much this has been an amazing interview
1: you know what I just want oh, to say one more thing you know, I know right
0: oh no because yeah. one
1: of your questions on there was what are some of the highlights
0: oh that was good I was just gonna ask you like right that that was gonna be my final question oh my gosh perfect timing
1: well I gotta tell you Brad I'm really proud of a lot of things. I was really, really proud of what I did when I went on for Vicki, Clark, and Shishi. But as I read that question, something came to me of some of the things that I'm really proud of in auditions where I never even got the job. Really? I have a couple auditions where I walked out of the room and I felt so accomplished and never got the job. One of which was just a few years ago when I was up for Golda at Arena Stage. And I knew so many of those people that were in charge, you know, casting director and everybody. And I've been up for Golda quite a bit. And something happened when I was working on those sides that I grew miles with understanding Golda and who she was. I was able to go in and lay bare all of this information that I'd been collecting for years about this character and, and unsuccessfully auditioned. And I felt so successful when I walked out the door because I created a Golda that was m- much more me than the images of Golda that I had, that I'd mm. been carrying around with. She was all me. And I was so proud of that audition. I didn't get it. I, my girlfriend and ended up getting it. But I was so proud of that. And another audition. See, some some of your proudest accomplishments, and I think that your viewership is going to agree with this, some of our prouder accomplishments are really in the audition room. And we we just don't know that those gems have happened. Mm. I was down to the end for Little Dancer. They gave me a very complicated scene that this character, Mary, did with the lead character. the sculpture was in the middle of the room, and I had to i had to put this audition together. Where I, what, I, what I wanted to do, I wanted to walk around that sculpture, and I wanted to confront him about his feelings. And I'm in love with him, and I can't let him know it. And it was very wordy, and very confrontational. So much discovery. She discovers that she's, he's not in love with her, mm. and it's really, it's hurtful. And I didn't get that show. I didn't I didn't book that show. I was so proud of that audition. And I really I say this to all humility, they were gripped. When I got done and the end scene curtain down, I looked at that table and their eyes were all wide as saucers, staring at me, gripped by what was gonna happen next. Because they know the script. What you want them to feel is like, what's gonna happen next? Imagine if we can do that yeah. all the time, right? When we walk into a room. Yeah. But I, really some of my prouder accomplishments are things that I, I didn't even get those yeah. jobs
0: do you find it's easier to leave it at the door when you give it your all and or do you still, well, are you still when waiting? Really,
1: when uh, yes I do feel so I think there's there isn't and I think that that is the thing that does feed our our angst and our our troubles that keeps us up at night is that somehow we've missed something or it's like a it's like a detective, you know. Yeah. You have to be a detective. Somehow we've missed this or that or the other. that We haven't put into that audition, and that's what we're supposed to learn from. Yeah, we're supposed to learn from that work. You know, it's not, that work is not supposed to go out void. It, we are supposed to learn from our mistakes in that work, and from our successes in that work.
0: Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll be able to leave an audition and be like, you know what? I don't care if I don't get it. I just did my good work. And then other times I'm constantly I'm checking my phone. I'm like anxiety, and I just don't know. I wish I could leave the audition room and always be like. Uh, I don't think done. we.
1: Ever, I don't think we ever will. Yeah. But I think it's. I think it's worth your viewership to contemplate this. To think about some of the things that they're really proud of in that audition room. I think there's there's stuff that we're leaving there. Yeah. And it's good. It's not. You don't want to dwell on it. Yeah, I am yeah. so wrong in that audition. That's different than what I'm talking about. Yes,
0: And also, I think, not beating yourself up for the stuff you missed, but learn from it is a better way of looking Absolutely. at it. Absolutely, learn from it. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes we're getting to audition for stuff that we're not right for, but we get to stretch ourselves.
1: Absolutely. And
0: I think sometimes I'm like, ugh, well, I'm not going to get this. Why am I trying? But because... The casting people might get to see a different side of it. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I couldn't agree with that more. Don't discount that stuff that's in the audition
2: room.
0: Yeah.
1: You, we do really good work in those rooms. Yeah. Don't discount it.
0: Well, I'm taking that away from this podcast because yeah, I don't look at auditions that way. We dismiss ourselves. We do.
1: And part of that is protection. We're like, I didn't get it, so I can walk away. And that's okay, you know. We invest a lot, and it hurts when we don't get called back, and it hurts when we don't get a job. But I think that there's, other, there's stuff there that we're leaving... That we're a little too dismissive of. Yeah. It's precious. Our work is really cool. And when we do something really cool, we should feel really good about it for a little while. You know, it's like, good. You
0: know? I agree. Well, hello, Maddie. It's great to talk to you again. How are you? I am very well. Last time we talked, right after we recorded, you just closed Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But then the following day, you yes. told me that you booked the tour. I wanted to yeah, talk to I, you. I did. That's amazing. I wanted to talk to you about that. But before that, you did a whole new show called Halftime. Tell me about that.
4: Well, Halftime used to be called Got Dan, based on a documentary that Dory Berenstein did in the early 2000s. And it's about a senior hip-hop group. Oh. Yeah, you heard me right. You heard me right. A senior hip hop group. It's a source material is based in fact. And then Marvin Hamlish got a hold of that material along with urging from Dory Bernstein and wanted to write a musical. When Dory did the documentary, she always pictured it as a musical. So Marvin Hamlish began writing it and then he fell ill. As he was declining, he passed the baton, literally, to Matt Square. And Matt Sklar and Nell Benjamin finished the score to halftime, formerly known as Gotta Dance. And we did an out-of-town tryout here in Chicago in 2016, and we did not come into New York that year because the incredible juggernaut Hamilton opened. So being a smaller show with you know, you'll get overshadowed so quickly and easily and that's not it's all about timing. Yes, that we it all is. know in this it's all about time. So we waited patiently and all of us moved on to other jobs and I moved on to the Broadway company of Charlie and the chocolate factory and we all waited patiently and then it got capitalized to be done at Paper Mill. We just did it at Paper Mill.
0: And how did it go?
4: It's so great. It is a great show. It is very funny. You know, Andre Shields and Lilius White and Georgia Engel and Donna McKechnie, Lenore Nemitz, Kay Walby. I mean, the list just goes on and on of these really very seasoned Broadway veterans who bring an awful lot to the table because they've been through so many different versions of themselves as they've gone on and aged on in their careers. And what they can bring in the richness of that is just, they're amazing. I love them so much. So we left it at Paper Mill. A sidebar to that, Brad, is that, then I started rehearsals for, for the National Tour of Charlie, but the sidebar to that is that while I was in rehearsal for the National Tour of Charlie, I got a phone call from my agent that they wanted to do a cast album of halftime the day that was scheduled to do that cast album was our first day of tech in buffalo
0: oh no
3: yes
4: and i had to decline
3: so
4: you know i always say this about children it's like baseball it's guaranteed to break your heart
0: (laughs) no it's it's very true i couldn't
4: do it i couldn't do it yeah you have to leave it at that
0: yeah and i always find it interesting though about the heartbreak of of show business too, when you do these out-of-town tryouts, I was looking at the list of shows that um, want to come into Broadway and it's such a huge list. It's like, how does something make it like something like a gem of halftime have a future when it's about money, it's about so many other variables and not necessarily about the piece of art? Exactly. Well,
4: I think that, I I could really be wrong about this, but you know, the rumor mill, I think that, half time is capitalized. But it's all about finding a theater. Because yeah. Because not everybody wants a theater. You know, there's a lot. A lot of capital has been loosened up. People are investing wonderfully in, in shows. And everything is getting developed. Uh, things that have been sitting on shelves for quite a while are getting developed and getting a chance. That's good news for all of us.
0: Yes, it is. And
4: then the downside to that is that whatever project is sitting there that you have already put a lot of your blood, sweat, and tears in, Many end up get, getting sidelined so we're hoping that doesn't happen with halftime Dory berenstein and bill damansky is all a, a the dream which people they are working tirelessly they also have another project that bob martin and chad beglin and matt squar have written which is called the prom which is already, you know, launched and has a Broadway opening. I know that those people are busy. You know, we all understand, and we're all out working and doing other things and continuing on. We know where our passion lies, so we will wait.
0: Yes. Well, so tell me about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You covered Mrs. TV. Is that the name of the... That's the character, yes. That's the character on, on Broadway. And the day I interviewed you, you had your audition in the morning for it. And you were all nervous even though you know the role. It's so interesting that you were so nervous about auditioning for a role that you know like the back of your hand.
4: It wasn't so much nervous as it is, I think, that more accurately, if you will allow me. Of course. Less nervous and more concerned because I think I might have said this. When you're in the room with people that you've worked closely with, the stakes are even higher. Very true. You want to be so, so good and not take anything for granted, and not walk in there with this history on your sleeve that I've already covered this part, it should be brand new, it should be fresh, it should be approached in a way that is even maybe even surprising to you. That was more my concern.
0: And that's a great concern. I think that that's what's, So many people need to understand is that it always should be brand new and still making choices. And I think we get stuck in the rut of doing everything that you've done every night and forgetting that it's supposed to be fresh.
4: You know, and not taking those people for granted. You know, not being overly familiar in the room. Just being really respectful. And yes, you may have spent many long hours with them. And you never want to do that with people. You never want to be overly familiar, even in those circumstances, because they're there for business. And so are you, you know, you're conducting business, you're not at a social event. It requires a little thinking, you have to really
0: think that through. Oh, that's great advice. So how is that, the tour? You said that you were really enjoying it. Is it great to actually make this role your own and not just go out there and be thrown on at the last minute? They have
4: made it very easy to make it my own. And I will tell you one of the main reasons. The song that Jackie Hoffman did in New York as Mrs. T. V., is different than the song that we have on tour. Really? They have a new song. Now, the the song isn't new in the sense that they wrote it for me. That's not true. They had this song in one of the many readings that they did of Charlie. They really liked this song. But... It was not Jackie's strong suit, The song. Jackie is very good at sarcasm. This yes. is her metier, is sarcasm. So they wrote a really sarcastic song. Now, as an understudy, you inherit that. Yes. You do what is written on the page. But when they went into rehearsal for Charlie, about two or three days prior, I got news that they were going to put the song that's now in the show back in the show. And I was familiar with that song because I auditioned with that song originally.
0: Oh, wow.
4: Because they gave it to us with the audition packet. So I knew it. So I was like, oh, yeah, I pretty much kind of know that song still, you know? And so first day of rehearsal, we had all kinds of things going on. And then I had a musical rehearsal with the the, my TV. And we uh, ran that song because he sings a little portion of it too. It took a, a fine tuning and whatever, but... Basically, I kind of knew it. And the next thing I knew, they said to the composers, come on in here and listen to this. So there you are, first day of rehearsal. Maybe rehearsed it, I rehearsed it uh, two or three times. They brought in the composers and they sat them down. And we basically auditioned the song for them. We pitched it at them like, isn't this what you want to do? And that's what we did.
0: Oh, and that's exciting it. and also nerve-wracking. Yeah. But now it's your, definitely your track, your creation.
4: It's really fun. And they did a different thing with the wig, which is so great. Costumes the same. They were very generous in crafting it so that it fit on me and I didn't look like I was wearing somebody else's clothes yes. or wig or anything like that. So I love that. For me, that was the highest form of flattery. Oh. Which, that's really nice, yeah
0: absolutely and where are you with like because right now i can't wait to get home because i've been gone for six months but you're just gonna pack up and go are you are you good with that part of the career at this age in your life
4: well thank god for
0: facetime is
4: all i can say
0: (laughs) because i can still look at that little grandson
4: of mine and from my my wonderful eddie from his side of the family i can keep in touch with all of those kids and their children and believe me I'm incredibly fortunate because for on two counts and I'm not I'm not fishing for a compliment here. The first count is that a woman my age is not always the first choice for something or an idea or a, a genesis of an idea. So a job like this is incredibly a huge gift. Yes. I feel really fortunate with that. So there oh. you go. I'm looking at this next year and possibly beyond that. There are little grumblings of rumors that this has an extended life beyond the year that's on the page right now. So, I don't know. You know, so this is a, a funny little animal. I'm not going to say that it's actually happening. But ostensibly, if for some reason halftime is delayed, I've this job for, for a while. And I'm, I'm fortunate
0: to, to have that. So Well, that is so, yeah. unbelievably great news. Thank yeah, you so great. much for doing this podcast tag. It's just such an interesting thing for me to know, like, when you get to... When you're waiting in the wings for so long to do a role, but then all of a sudden it's handed to you, it's a completely different journey. You're just such a fascinating woman, I couldn't not release this part of your newest story.
4: Uh, okay. Oh, I was going to give you the second reason why I was so grateful for this job. It's really, truly, yes. uh, I will say that you know, they auditioned a lot of girls for Mrs. TV. You know They could have hired any one of these great friends of mine that auditioned for mrs tv but they hired me and of course my joke to them is well i have the costume
0: they hired you because they wanted you
4: i will not undervalue that that is absolutely true and i'm incredibly grateful to that
0: well they're very very lucky i've seen you on stage and you you did my reading Uh i know how talented you are so congratulations thanks
4: so much feel highly favored so thank
0: you well i look forward to seeing you in a year in the opening of halftime
4: You know what i don't think it's going to happen for this spring obviously things are all tied up already but you know there's always there's always the fall of 19 and there's always the spring of 20. yes there
0: is let's look towards that i think that's a great idea okay (laughs) all all right well enjoy your enjoy your tour you know and enjoy being a tourist and i'll see you soon (laughs) all right brad thank you sure thank you very much if I could end this podcast with any song from your whole life, whether career or personal or what's going on right now, what would it be?
1: Well, my favorite singer in the world is Lonnie Hall. You know who she is? I do She's not. married to Herb Albert. She was the singer in Brazil 66, and Sergio Menendez in Brazil 66. Oh. So she, there's a beautiful song that she sings called, that they do, but she sings it called So Many Stars. Wait till you hear this song.
0: I cannot wait. Yeah, It's gorgeous.
1: Lonnie Hall, she's incredible. When I was a kid listening to Sergio Mendez and Brazil 66, I couldn't believe that voice I was listening to. Gorgeous. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. I'm taking so much from this. She's
1: my, she's my favorite singer in the world.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, you are
2: so welcome. Thank you. The dawn is filled with dreams. So many dreams. Which one is mine? i